Hi everybody, Johnny Torres with you. As always, it is Monday night, 7 o'clock. Thank you so much for watching The Yard Sign, the most important and relevant podcast in politics. Uh, excited to change it up a bit for this week as uh, you're going to be seeing more of these one-on-one -on -one interviews as we get closer to Election Day. And uh, we want to highlight as many of our uh, Republican and conservative candidates that are out there across the state of Florida um, and get to know them better and uh, give you a reason as to why you should vote for them Come. November. Um, now, uh, my guest uh, tonight is a great uh, first one for the 2022 cycle, uh, only because you know he's uh, just done such an amazing job up in Tallahassee uh, as a state representative, and uh, we're going to discuss his future plans today on the show. So uh, we'll get into the, all the uh, background stuff here in just a minute. Uh, but let me welcome in uh, state representative, or or should, do I need to call it, call you former now? Like, how does that work? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> former state representative nick disegli um and nick i'm terrible and i say it all the time i'm terrible with the district numbers what district are you in yeah so i i first of all it's great to see you uh, it's good to be here uh, i still represent district 66 and will represent district 66 through uh, november 2022 of course i am running for state senate and that election won't be until uh, 2022 so until that time i'll the florida house all right, that's awesome, and uh, and so uh, I want to first of all, uh, before we backtrack a little bit, I want to get into this year because you had a really uh, particularly great year, um, as you would hope most leg legislators do after they've been in Tallahassee for some time. But uh, go ahead and tell us a little bit about what this year was like, despite the pandemic, uh, despite how the year started out, and certainly you know, kind of uh, the uh, amazing kind of turnaround that the legislature had this year uh, it, uh towards the end of session yeah well it was definitely unique uh, legislative session no question about that you know we started uh organizational session back in in november right after the election in 2020 uh i was uh, privileged to, to be named by the speaker of the house as the insurance and banking chair uh so immediately we worked on property insurance issues um some banking issues but primarily our focus was on on insurance uh fast forward to the beginning of session in march uh still dealing with you know the pandemic at that point obviously and i think one of the highlights that we had in the legislature was COVID 19 liability protection uh for business you know the, the dealing with this first time in years that we've dealt with anything like this um you know we we needed to protect our businesses and, and i'm very thankful for governor DeSantis for uh really seeing light from early on that we can't be shut down for a long period of time we've got to open up the economy we've got to get people back to work and um and thankfully his leadership led the way not only here in the state of florida but across the country on that note you had a big win and uh you know i want to bring this up uh because i the job that brought me to tampa bay was actually the housing industry and i know that one of the bills that you championed um and i believe just got signed by the governor was uh, of course uh one of the things that especially here in tampa bay is getting out of control which is the local governments uh multiplying the impact fees on yeah. on home builders and developers you know and then at the same time they want to cry foul about 
not having affordable housing. Um, and so, again, it just, you know, the lack of common sense here uh, at the local level, both at the city and the county, particularly here in Hillsborough, is, is just, uh, you know, mind boggling. But uh, what motivated you? I mean, I know you're, you know, your business in, is in the sanitation industry. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, being in Tampa Bay, you know, we've obviously seen uh, very steady growth for a long time. What, what really motivated you to bring this bill across? Well, I ran an impact fee bill back in in uh, in 2020, and we we just kind of changed some some basic stuff. We you know we uh, redefined the word infrastructure so that we can kind of more narrowly define you know what is actually you know used for you know from impact fees. Obviously, when you have you know a significant amount of money, local governments tend to want to spend that you know in a wide number of areas, and so we had to we had to redefine infrastructure. And, and then I noticed over the summer, uh, and again, when I say summer, I'm talking about summer of 2020. So we're in the in the middle of this pandemic. Businesses are shut down. Um, you know, we're, we're having definitions of essential and non-essential businesses and things like that. And, and and it was, you know, I hate to pick on Hillsborough County, but I will. You know, I noticed on the Tampa Bay Times, there was an article uh, that talked about, you know, a, a 100% increase on impact fees from Hillsborough County. And then, and then I see 160% increase in Orange County. And then I see a 300% increase in Punta Gorda area. And then in the in the villages, Sumter County, 75% increase in impact fees. And so I got with some of the the industry leaders, uh, home builders specifically, and I said, "Hey, you know, what what are your thoughts on this? What can we do to, you know, kind of slow this down?" And so we we came up with you know what I think is a great you know now great law. Um, the governor signed this bill in, into law on Friday, but essentially we were dealing with we, we did some some more redefining of the definitions of infrastructure, um, and really what we did we wanted to create a glide path for the increase of impact fees, and so if it's zero to twenty five percent increase, you have to do that spread that over two year time period, from twenty five percent to fifty percent that has to be spread out over over four years, uh, and then you know we've got a we've got a relief valve where if there's an, an increase in impact fees over 50%, uh, that can still be done because there are certain circumstances that, you know, that justify those type of increases. And then in that circumstance, we want to make sure that there's communication going between, you know, between the, the, the free market, you know, the, the stakeholders, home builders, developers, et cetera, and, and local governments. And so if they want to increase those impact fees over 50%, you've got to have, you know, two public hearings, you know, you've got to have some transparency. You've got to you have a two-thirds vote, you know, from from local government before before that type of increase is is approved. And I think that's just good governance. I think that's good public policy when when you kind of force, um, you know, local governments to have that communication, that transparency, accountability, uh, you know, in this area. Because to your earlier point, we hear so much about affordable housing and the lack of affordable housing. When you when you increase these impact fees, those fees go right to the overall cost of let's use a single family home for example to a single family home, and when yeah. you start pricing out a certain segment of the population, a certain segment of first time home buyers, it becomes extremely difficult, you know, for for the economy to start to start moving. It's it's harder, you know, to get these homes moving, and and look, we have seen all across not only the state of Florida but across this country significant uptick in, in the value of, of, of homes. 
And so, you know, yeah, you look, take uh, that- you know, sorry to interrupt, but I mean, a perfect example would be, you know, my sister who moved here less than two years ago, um, you know, was able to purchase her first home. And then because, you know, of the influx in the market and the demand of the market, she actually made a nice return on that first home, sold it in less than a year and and then quickly moved into uh, her next home. But had she not done so, the timing was so narrow because you know what's happening here in Hillsborough County, and the, the 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 impact fees were going up so quickly that the house that she purchased less than six months ago is now priced at fifty thousand dollars higher than what yeah. she just bought it for. Yeah, and, and we've had reports, you know, for some of these municipalities that between the impact fees and mobility fees and permitting and this and that, you know, you're talking upwards of thirty to thirty-five thousand dollars in just fees to build a new home. Right. And and again, you know, that's gonna that's going to be, um, you know, that that that's gonna go right to to the overall cost of the home. And um, and again, that's not um, to me. That's not good public policy. And you know, Hillsborough County. Um, you know, they said, well, you know, we hadn't raised our impact fees in 25 years. Well, that's all fine. But you know, I think that there are a lot of local governments that raise their impact fees three to five percent per year. It's a you know a typical CPI type of increase. Right. And and you know, uh, I I, th- I just think it, it, it just going to take a little bit more. A little bit more thought put into into these overall impact fees because at the end of the day, um, you know there's some there's some you know bad actors in the state and and it's just not good for the economy. It's not good for affordable housing, and I, I do think that the bill you know had three amendments as it went through the process, and those amendments were coming from you know local counties. They were coming from municipalities. You yeah. know, I wanted to, I wanted to have a balanced product here because at the end of the day. Um, you know, to have good public policy, you have to have the input of the stakeholders. We did that. Um, you know, certainly they weren't jumping up and down at the final product, but it was a lot better than uh, than the bill, how it was originally filed. And again, I think it's something that they're going to be able to manage. There's going to be predictability, you know, coming from from the home builders, developers. And again, right. I think that's all that just all makes it's common sense, which, as we know, sometimes it's uh, far and few between in, in, in government. Well, to your point, it creates stability in the market, which can only help our uh, real estate market long term. And the uh, the other thing too is is that you know, especially here in Hillsborough County, it seemed like it was a bit of a cash grab. You know, they literally, I mean, it, within I think a year, and you would know better than I. Uh, I think they raised it two or three times, and it seemed like they were kind of trying to make up for lost time. And I think this again, it, it it's one of these things that I think even the governments, the local governments, acknowledged was necessary um but it's also like you said about responsible government this wasn't a this wasn't about punishing um the county governments it was about responsible government uh and and making sure that you know you're not only uh protecting really the local governments and allowing them to increase those uh those impact fees but also uh the homeowners and those that are moving here from other states yeah, that's right. And look, you know, the, the, there was a couple of op-eds across the state. I think, I think Orlando Sentinel was, was one yeah. of them. And they had, you know, the, the, House Bill 337 was one of the bills that they wanted the, the, to see the governor veto. And their argument was simply, you know, if, if we don't allow these impact fee increases, then, then, then you know, the local government is going to simply raise taxes. And I thought, you know, raising taxes? I mean, if you were going to 
conflate the two, the impact fees, which, you know, you can make an argument, okay, you know, if we have a big development, obviously we have to have, you know, the infrastructure to support that, widening of roads, sewer systems, things like that. I think that's all reasonable. But when you start to, you know, kind of use it for things that, that are not infrastructure, you want to, you know, charge these these absorbent, you know, or sort of exorbitant impact fees. Um, and then if, if you know, you say if, if the bill does get signed into law, we're going to raise taxes. I mean, to me, that's that's going from one one extreme to the other. And it just, you sure. know, just to me, um, it just proves the point that, you know, this is just a way for some of these local governments to charge developers uh, so they don't have to make the tough political decisions, you know, to to, to raise their taxes. Yeah. And, I mean, they basically uh, revealed knows. themselves. Yeah. Yeah. And God knows, you know, we look at, you know, some of these bigger counties and, and you know, if, um, you know, I'm sure they can find many, many, many ways to shave, you know, millions of dollars off their, their annual budgets, which go into the billions of dollars. Um, So, look, I think that uh, like so many things we do in Tallahassee as we're running a bill, you know, it's gloom and doom. The, the, you know, the earth is is falling apart. And um, I think think we're going to we're going to see that uh, because, look, a lot. Not every county charges impact fees, by the way. And and, and there are a lot that that do that that are very responsible in doing that. And and I think that, you know, those counties that I mentioned um, that that are raising these impact fees, you know, 100 plus percent, I think they're going to be just fine. And I think, you know, development is going to continue. We're obviously, we have, a, we have a good economy. Our economy is open. We have low interest rates. Um, there's not any, any shortage of, of building here in the state of Florida. Okay, so to transition a little bit, this bill, of course, uh, that uh, you, you know you uh, initiated and sponsored, and uh, and now successfully got to uh, have signed by the governor, obviously is going to be now in in, in our legislature now and as, as a law for decades to come. Uh, looking back quickly on your run as state representative, uh, what are some other accomplishments really that uh, you know kind of are going to be up there? Because again. This is an incredibly powerful bill that passed, and I don't think people truly understand how much this is going to impact their 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 economy, their communities. Um, what are some of the of the other bills that you were a part of during your uh, tenure in the state house? Uh, now, as you kind of announce your candidacy to move forward, yeah. Well, you know, first of all, I have to mention. You know, you mentioned earlier. I'm, I'm a small business owner. You know, I got involved in politics. I was dealing with my own you know, regulatory challenges, you know, in, in Pinellas County 12 years ago, that got me in, involved in number one, to, to save my livelihood and my family business. And then, and then I was, as I did that, you know, I got involved in, in local politics. And, and so, you know, everything, not everything, but, but a main, um, you know, focus of my priority is, is, is small business is making sure that, you know, the quote unquote little guy, you know, has a voice in Tallahassee because, you know, it's it's so easy to get kind of lost in the conversation. We, we talk about, you know, we talk about these bigger companies and and companies that have these high powered lobbyists and all that. And that's and that's fine. That has a place in a legislative process. But you know, many times small business owners don't have the resources to to get a lobbyist that can get things done. Um, and and you might not need it every single year, right? So um, so going back to that, I think one of my one of my um, you know w- one of my I guess highlights of legislation was House Bill 5, and I'll briefly go into that because there's a couple of things I do want to discuss that I think has, has a broader impact of what we just did. But, you know, House Bill 5 essentially says if, if local government's going to raise a sales surtax, sales tax, you have to do it in a, in a general election. 
in, in an even numbered year in November. We were seeing these special elections, you know, at the end of May when there was, you know, 18 percent turnout. And, and I don't know, but raising taxes on, on yourself is a pretty important thing. I would think that, that, that we would want to do that when we have, you know, voter turnout of 50, 60, 75 percent so that, you know, a, a, a super majority of the electorate is making decisions and deciding whether or not they want to raise taxes on themselves. And so that was, that was a, a great achievement in my first legislative session. Fast forward to 2021, uh, I, had, I had the privilege of, of running a craft distillery bill. We have a really robust craft distillery industry here in the state of Florida. Again, there are a lot of small business owners that, you know, came up with an idea. They want to, you know, they want to create a great bourbon or a great rum or a great vodka. And, sure. and so there's regulatory, it's very regulated industry, obviously. And there were regulatory caps um, that if they produced over 75,000 gallons of that product in a given year, uh, they had to stop production. Otherwise, they wouldn't be considered a craft distiller. And so, so this bill raised that cap from seventy-five thousand to two hundred fifty thousand. It enables these craft distilleries to kind of, um, you know, through uh, community redevelopment zoning, if you will, that they're going to create these destination locations, very similar to what we see in Kentucky. With you know, you want to go take a, a tour of a bourbon distillery. Kentucky's known for that. Well, guess what? The state of Florida is going to be known, known for that, too. And I, I anticipate, right. hopefully, fingers crossed, that Governor DeSantis signs that into law. And and one last thing, you know, in insurance and banking, you know, chairing that subcommittee, the, the, the first day, the first meeting I had with my staff, we talked about property insurance. And so, so many Floridians across our state, they're seeing 25 30% increase in, in, in property insurance, really no fault of their own. They've never had a claim. They, they don't have a, a loss. Uh, they don't understand why they're getting, you know, tapped with this 25% increase. I'll use that number. Uh, but we we had some reforms. We're we're dealing with kind of the attorney fee component of it, uh, because you've got the you've got the plaintiff attorneys on one side, and you've got the insurance companies on on another side. And really, right. to find that balance um, is extremely challenging. Because again, you know, the those industries are are heavily lobbied, and they have a lot of influence in the in the process. But we were we were able to to get it done. Um, you know, Senator Boyd in, in, on the Senate side, and we had uh, Representative Bob Rommel, again, a small business owner down in the Naples area. Those two sponsors, we, we got it done, and I anticipate, again, the governor signing that into law. And, and really the whole goal there was to stabilize the insurance market because we've, we just have this, this instability where it's way too easy to file a lawsuit. It's way too easy, you know, to kind of, you know, I guess put the pressure on the insurance companies to settle these claims. Many times you'll see you know, 50, 60 percent more than probably what they should have should have settled for. Uh, so we wanted to just create some some balance in the system. And, you know, nothing's going to happen overnight. It's going to take, you know, it's going to take a year or two to see if that really stabilizes the market. Uh, but we, we had to do something because, again, these are, you know, we're, we're responsible to our constituents. And, and when the emails start, you know, filling up, our inboxes fill up with, you know, people complaining about property insurance, phone calls, etc., you know, we had to take action, and, and certainly this was the this was the year to do it. And I, you know, I think we're 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 probably halfway halfway there. Uh, we'll see if there's any uh, political appetite to do it in 2022. But that's going to be something that, um, you know, I'm going to be looking at. Uh, you know, as long as I'm in the legislature. 
That's fantastic. And and again, you know, very impactful legislation, you know, because oftentimes, um, again, it's not easy. I don't think people understand, you know, how difficult it is to get a piece of legislation passed, even yeah. if you're in the majority, um, you know, being on the Republican side. Uh, yeah. You know, there are still Democrats that you have to win over. There are still people on the on the left side of the aisle that, you know, have to come to the table and vote for those bills and and uh, and seek some compromise. And uh, and, and, and again, uh, what I love the you know the most about you know a lot of the legislation that you've been behind is that you stay true to your roots in terms of protecting small business um mm-hmm. and then also again uh it just especially right now seeing how explosive the real estate market is i mean the last thing we need to do is to hinder it you know by impact fees or even uh a, you know a different situation altogether which is that you know uh, again here in the tampa bay area um and i'm sure it's happening in other parts of the state they're looking at limiting or stopping uh, or limiting or stopping entirely the construction of apartments, uh, which, uh, again, I think, you know, it's one of those, there's too many people that will move here and they say, okay, they want to close the door behind them, right? And say, nobody else can come in. We're here. Well, we don't want more apartments. We don't want more construction. And that's just not reality. Um, And and again, what happens when you put those restrictions into place in terms of um, uh, limiting apartments or increasing impact fees is that, uh, you know, you're only hurting the consumer. You're only hurting uh, those in your neighborhood. Um, Let's go ahead and transition uh, again to uh, what I'm also excited about. Also, because, uh, you know, this is uh, a, uh, a seat that uh, hasn't really been in play for quite some time. We've had fantastic representation there um, by State Senator Jeff Brandis, who is now terming out. Mm-hmm. Um, but you are uh, uh, you recently announced, you had your kickoff a couple weeks ago, uh, that you're going to be running for State Senate. Is that right? Yeah, so I filed uh, for the State Senate on, on March the 1st, uh, just before legislative session started on March 2nd. Um, but you know, this is, uh, I, have been in Pinellas County now since 1996. Uh, I've actually, I grew up in, in New York and I've lived here in the state of Florida now longer than, than the time I grew up in New York, which is, I don't know what they call wow. that. I'm sure we'll come up with something, but, uh, <laughs> but I bring that up because, you know, um, I, I've been raising a family here. Um, my wife and two kids, we live in Indian Rock Beach. I've been there since 97. Obviously I have a family business here in Pinellas County. You know, this is a place that, uh, that I call home. This is, this is paradise. And, you know, when this, you know, this seat, uh, you know, obviously is now open, um, you know, it was a tough decision for me because I, I've got, um, you know, I've got good roots in the Florida House. I've, I feel like I've been been pretty effective uh, for for a sophomore. Um, and but, you know, looking looking at that, looking at the rich history in Pinellas County, you know, I wanted to to take my, you know, my experience in the legislature, my experience as, you know, as a husband, as a, as a dad, as a business owner. Uh, I wanted to take that to to the Florida Senate. I think that um, I think the timing, you know, the timing seems right. Obviously, we have a we have well over a year to go, um, you know, before even qualifying. Um, but I wanted to, uh, you know, I just I wanted to get my name out there. I wanted to, you know, have these conversations, and um, you know, I, and I said it when I was on the campaign trail for the Florida House. I'm kind of on a listening tour. And uh, but now, you know, the good news is I've got some, you know, experience in the legislature and and, um, you know, I'm proud of the the record that I have. And and I'm proud of really the open door policy that, you know, that I bring to the table, whether it's with my constituents, which is my first priority, or even, you know, even folks in the process, whether it's the lobby corps or my colleagues, you know, regardless of of our political 
uh, affiliation, you know, it's important to, to have that ability to, to work with others because you're dealing, you know, we're dealing with issues that impact 21 million Floridians. And that's nothing that any of us, 160 of us can take that lightly. We can't take that lightly. And so, right. you know, to, to take that to, you know, the, to the Senate is, is, you know, I'm honored to have the opportunity and, and I'm, I'm ready to work my tail off to, you know, to earn myself, to earn the vote of each and every person in that district. And um, so far, we're off to a great start. Well, again, I think what what is uh, particularly unique, uh, I'd say, about Tampa Bay really is is that while uh, you would think that South Florida, being you know having the largest population uh, as a region, you know, would be the most impactful, uh, it just blows me away. You know, the talent that we have in the legislature uh, right here in Tampa Bay, uh, and and again, for you to have had the opportunity to stand out the way that you have, uh, I think, is a testament not only to you and your team, um, but also really to uh, the the unity, right? And I think the teamwork that there is in this region, um, you know, we're also incredibly lucky to have uh, Speaker Sprouls, uh, Chris yeah. Sprouls in, in the region, um, and, uh, and, and, and seeing that, uh, again, both in the House and then, you know, with uh, State Senator Jeff Brandis in the Senate, uh, you know, that you guys have been looking out consistently for small businesses. Um, but also doing uh, a lot in the ways of innovation. That's really been one of the hallmarks, you know, for uh, State Senator Brandis has been yeah. uh, pushing the state towards innovation and put, keeping us up to date, you know, with uh, the way that uh, not only technology is going, but infrastructure is going. You know, his big thing was uh, with the autonomous vehicles and that sort of thing. Uh, what yeah. are you kind of seeing, or, you know, maybe initially as, as kind of a roadmap as to what direction you want to take uh, your uh, candidacy and then certainly, mm -hmm. you know, your office if you're given the opportunity to serve in the state Senate? Well, you know, that's a really great question. It's something I think about quite often. You know, I think when anytime someone, you know, kind of, uh, you know, wants to step up to that next level, you think that, you know, you want to change your game plan because it's, it's you know, you're doing something, you know, a different level. But, you know, I, I, um, I found that, you know, I'm, I'm going to stick to, you know, who I am. I'm going to stick to what brought me here in the first place. Obviously, you know, we talked about small business. I think the opportunity that really is exciting to me is really not only looking at just, you know, the district in Pinellas County, but looking at the Tampa Bay region overall and really looking at the whole state because, you know, being one of 40, you know, that, um, that, that carries some additional responsibility, obviously. And, you know, when we look at Pinellas County, we look at the Tampa Bay region, obviously tourism is, a, is our number one economic driver. Manufacturing is, is a huge part of, of our local economy here. You know, we talked about building, construction, huge, huge part of our, you know, economy, especially in, in Hillsborough County, you know, Pinellas County, while we might be built out from a geographical standpoint, uh, we still have a lot of construction going on on here in, in Pinellas County. And then, you know, we look at some of the regional issues. Obviously, you know, we, we're, you know, it's a coastal community. So we want to make sure that we protect our protect our beaches, protect our environment. Uh, you know, we want to make sure that, you know, we have we have, you know, up to date modern day transportation options. I think transportation is an issue that that this region has been challenged with for for a long, long time. And that's not going to that's not going to change. So, you know, I think just being aware of 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 the challenges that we face here in the region, you know, having having strong leadership, having, you know, a voice that that can can make sure that our voices are heard in Tallahassee. 
Um, and, and to your point, you know, to have the Speaker of the House in Pinellas County, to have the President of the Senate, Wilton Simpson from Pasco County, that's huge for our region. Um, and, and again, to have that opportunity to continue that strong leadership, um, you know, something that, uh, you know, I'm certainly ready and willing to step up the plate and, and to continue that. And, um, you know, I'm just going to, uh, I'm going to stay true to myself, man, because as you know, um, you know, you get pulled in a in hundred different directions and, and, um, you know, I'm, I'm pretty well grounded at this point in my life and, and, you know, I'm just going to do what's right for, for, for Tampa Bay, for Pinellas County and ultimately the state of Florida. So uh, I work on another project where I get to talk to one of the general managers of uh, uh, one of the, uh, I would say, one of the legacy hotels, um, the Billmar Beach Resort over in Clearwater Beach. And uh, he tells me that they are just doing record numbers month after month, uh, which is absolutely amazing. Um, How do we continue to capitalize on that? And, and, and almost, you know, you, you, you know, to play maybe a little bit of, of a devil's advocate here, um, should we have done anything differently, you know, in terms of how we handle the coronavirus, uh, despite the fact that again, we're continuing to see our economy just explode, uh, by multiples. Um, or do you think, uh, you know, we kind of did as, as good as we could have done, uh, given, uh, the, the gravity of the pandemic? You know, that's a, is a great question. And, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty, but I will say that, um, you know, looking back uh, on on the decisions that this governor made from day one, um, and really, you know, if you kind of go over a timeline, you know, he was ahead of many times the CDC, ahead of the federal government in their recommendations when they were updating their recommendations. However, so often they did that. Um, look, there's a reason why we've got you know thousands of people moving to the state of Florida every single day. There's a reason why there's a mass exodus from places like New York and California and Illinois and, and places like that. You know, we, we have a, you know, we have an economy that's open. We have, we don't have sales tax. We have, you know, responsible government regulations that allows our economy to, to boom when we are open. Um, look, I think that, that the fact that, that this governor um, has led the way he has is really just, it's been actually amazing to watch. Um, and so, you know, and, and other states are following us, you know, and so, um, you know, the reason why, you know, the tourism industry is booming is because people know they can come here and, and, you know, the, the regulations, when we did have the mask ordinances, they were, they were, you know, they're very controversial. I get that, but I do think that people, you know, I think about two months into this pandemic, people had a pretty good idea of, of what we need to do to protect ourselves and protect our families. Okay, it's pretty it's pretty basic, pretty common sense. And so when people were looking at, at places to go, places that are open, places that have reasonable, you know, you know, regulations when it comes to COVID, you know, Florida is the number one place. And so um, and, and, you know, again, I'm, I'm talking, you know, even last summer, people were coming here uh, to vacation when most of the country and the world were closed. Now, I think we're just going to, you know, take take advantage of that. Uh, as the as the the leaders of of a state that's been open since day one, um, and look if you look at our COVID numbers and hospitalizations, thank God we're never at the level that that we were extremely concerned about from day one, and um, and the governor just made really hard, uh, but I think the right decisions from from the get go, and um, and you know I think everybody has just really been um, very pleased with that for all the obvious reasons and. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm proud to uh, I'm proud to be a Floridian these days. I can tell you that. 
Yeah, well, and again, uh, as you said, you know, in Florida, we're just blessed, you know, to have some of the key elements that have made getting through this coronavirus uh, a possibility, which is uh, clean air um, and amazing sunshine and weather year-round. Uh, two key components that I think are, are proven, are, are beginning to be proven as key factors in in, in maintaining a healthy community. Uh, you know, into that note, we saw what is being called as the largest uh, outdoor festival to happen since the pandemic began uh, in Panama City Beach. Governor DeSantis yeah. going out there looking like Bruce Springsteen. I mean, the crowd just went nuts, right? Um, yeah. uh, that was that was just so exciting to see. Um, and, uh, and I think that is going to be a, a pivotal moment, uh, not only in his career, but also in, in the future of the state yeah. and, and to show that, uh, you know, uh, I think one of the things that I believe Ron DeSantis has learned from president Trump is, is boldness in action. Um, and so, uh, you know, too many times we've saw uh, our presidents, uh, cower in the face of politics, right? When it came to issues as controversial as moving the uh, embassy to Jerusalem, right? That one being one of the biggest ones I would say for president Trump, we're seeing now Ron DeSantis, I'd say he, he learned a lot from the Trump administration in terms of pushing back on the media when it's necessary, pushing back on, you know, the, 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 the overall public narrative, you know, in terms of decision making and leadership when necessary. Um, and so I'm incredibly excited to, to see what's, you know, going to continue down the road, uh, not only for you, but for the governor over these next few years. Um, I'm going to maybe dive into what might be the most controversial issue that is going to uh, rear its head during your tenure in the Senate, hopefully, um, uh, here very soon, is uh, the future of the Tampa Bay Rays. And, uh, you know, <laughs> what's going to happen? Uh, I mean, uh, is is St. Petersburg and Pinellas County continue to be, are they going to continue to be baseball city, you know, or are we going to potentially, um, share the raise, you know, with another market? Um, and what, so kind of, you know, I, I'm sure you've been in some of those conversations and with some of the leaders in, in that movement. Um, do you see them moving? Do you see them, uh, crossing the, you know, crossing the pond as my friend Anibal would say over here to Tampa? Um, or do you see, uh, you know, kind of a hybrid situation between, you know, maybe a city like Nashville or some of these other markets that are are hungry for a major league baseball team? Well, you know, number one, um, I will say this. I think that that it's especially in this stage we're at right now with this issue, it is extremely important for the city of St. Petersburg and the Tampa Bay Rays to to have ongoing discussions, ongoing communication as to how we're going to, to ultimately keep the team here. In number one, in my opinion, priority in Pinellas County. Start with that, and and if that's not a viable solution, then certainly in in the Tampa Bay area, uh, because we give we have so much to give to a sports team, and we have the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, we've got the Tampa Bay Lightning, you know the the St. Petersburg Rowdies is is you know is another good example. Um, but I think you know having a major league baseball team here in the state of Florida obviously is a rich tradition here. There's a rich tradition in, in St. Petersburg when it comes to major league baseball. Um, I personally am not a fan of, of splitting the season between, you know, between whether it's it's Pinellas County or it's or it's, uh, you know, Tampa, whatever the case. I'm not a fan of splitting that between, you know, two cities. It, it hasn't been done before in, in my, you know, in my experience, you know, at least not in the game of baseball. 
maybe I'm wrong. I'm not sure, but either way, I'm not big. I'm not a big fan of that. Um, right. I, to be fair, I have not had the opportunity to speak with you know management of the race to kind of get the um, you know the reason why they think that that might be you know a good economic you know decision to make. I, I haven't. To be fair, um, don't know if that would change my mind. I'm kind of a baseball traditionalist, if you will. Uh, yeah. I think that if Major League Baseball here in, in, in the Tampa Bay area is in a location that you know is accessible to folks that live in Pasco, folks that live in Pinellas, Hillsboro, Manatee, Sarasota, uh, even even you know Polk County for that matter, having you know those counties as a draw, Hernando County as a draw to a Major League Baseball uh, team, I think that that's important. So I think I don't know if we've had discussions to really. Um, at at the at the level or extent to, to 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 say hey we're giving up on on that let's do a split city idea you know I, I just think that we really just haven't had enough conversation and communication going on here you know to keep this team uh, you know here in the Bay Area I think well, that's but I, speculatively I mean based on the behaviors that I see from the city council and Rick Kreisman and a lot of the players involved. I mean, they're all, they're seemingly already making plans for that space. I mean, and that doesn't include the raise. I mean, is, does yeah. that alarm you? Um, or, yeah. or do yeah. you feel that that is, uh, or is that just a, a plan B in case things don't work out with the raise? Yeah, I, I, that does concern me. I, again, I think that, um, you know, both, both sides are serious here. You know about getting something done, about keeping the team. I think there just needs to be more communication. There needs to be more input from from the community. You know, I, I hear a lot of you know the headline is you know Rick Christman is now he's not talking to the Rays, or or from the Rays it's like hey we want to split the season in Montreal. I, there just hasn't been a lot of of dialogue between you know the team, the city, the elected leaders in both counties for that matter, and and the fans. I mean, at the end of the right. day, let's face it, it's the fans that. You know, they're the customer here. They're the ones that I think should have, you know, should have a, a significant input here. And I, I just, I don't see that. I don't see that happening at this stage. And a lot of this stuff is, is negotiation. You know, I get that. Um, both sides are looking yeah. for that leverage point, you know, to, you know, to, to hopefully make a deal happen here. But it's very complex. And, yeah, uh, and yeah and I am very concerned that, um, you know, it's been, you know, when you, when you have, you know, dialogue that's, that's shutting down, the mayor now is basically, you know, at least the, the last I checked, he, you know, I think he seems to be done with, you know, with this dialogue. And that's that's not good. That's that's not good for it doesn't send a good message to, you know, to this area. Well, and like you, you know, I'm also a huge fan of baseball, played it as a kid growing up. Um, and uh, it would break my heart for us to be in a market without a baseball team. And look, yeah. I'm I'm all in favor of uh again you know either helping them accommodating them in some way uh for them to build a new stadium whether it's in Pinellas whether it's in Tampa um but i think you might agree uh, what i'm not in favor of is putting that uh that bill on the taxpayers and and i think no, that's where agree. the road stops here in Tampa um yeah. and 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 correct me if i'm wrong even as liberal as the city council is in St. Petersburg they're also not ready to pony up the you know, let's say billions of dollars it would take, you know, to build a new stadium for the Rays. Yeah, yeah, I no, I, I agree with you hundred percent. I mean, look, look at my look at Miami Dade, the 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 yeah. you know the Miami Marlins. 
um, well over a billion dollars for that that world class facility, you know, retractable roof, um, and I think that their attendance is is worse than what we've seen historically in Tropicana Field. Yeah. Um, and I know this is not going to be be popular for me to say this, but you know, I mean, we're we're having a conversation. I you know I I do have concerns whether or not a major league baseball team can you know can be economically viable in in the state of Florida. I mean, you look at Miami. Um, it's 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 the largest you know populated city in the state, largest most populated region in the state. Um, they have a large Hispanic community in in Miami Dade. They love baseball. I mean, we all do. But you know, they have so many different demographics that they can attract to come to, you know, watch a, a Miami Marlin game. And for whatever reason, they're not. Sure. And um, and I'm sure there's economic reasons for that. You know, I'm not a you know I, I'm not an expert in that area, but. Um, you know, I do have some concerns there, uh, and I think that you yeah. know when you have a lot of these transplants, and many of them, you know, they don't want to change their allegiance to their team, whatever, whatever the case might be. But it's been very difficult to to fill up a major league baseball uh, stadium eighty one times a year. I mean, it's it's uh, you know it is a lot. It's a long season, and look, you know, I actually worked for about five six years. I worked for the Florida Marlins when they were originally at Joe Robbie Stadium, uh, there mm-hmm. uh, right there on the county line between Miami Dade and Broward. And you know, people often blamed the location as as a factor, and they blamed that it was a shared stadium because they shared the stadium with the Dolphins, and yeah. and so they, you know, and and mind you, let's not even get into the false bill of goods that you know the Marlins sold the community in terms of being broke. You know, yeah, because yeah. that obviously ended up being a huge lie, um, and and so you have a team that really economically is maybe towards the bottom of the league um, in the Rays, but continue to produce amazing results. You know, getting into the postseason uh, as many yeah, times yeah, as they yeah. have. Um, uh, but again, it, we see you know um, you know we have so such great spring training facilities, um, you know, and so you wonder maybe the is to build up maybe one of these spring training facilities into you know kind of a medium size or a smaller major league baseball stadium um but to your point um you know the bucks uh, only have an attendance problem when they're not playing well and thanks to tom brady that's no longer the case uh the lightning are doing amazing uh i mean they they couldn't squeeze in more people in there if they if they wanted to i mean uh you know the minute that that they continue to open up seats you know here post pandemic i mean they they're just flying off the shelves obviously we're hoping that they end up uh defending their uh stanley cup title um but you're right in a in a state that is made for baseball um and certainly given Pinellas County's history with baseball. Uh, it's just fascinating to me that the Rays aren't able to produce the attendance numbers that you would expect, that you would think. Um, and again, I don't think location is a problem. I don't think moving the Rays from Pinellas, you know, St. Petersburg to Ybor City is going to be the solution. Yeah, I think there's a larger, I think the, the, the larger issue here is just the, the, the economics in Major League Baseball. You know, yeah. we have heard for decades now about, you know, the, the huge gap between the large market teams and, and the small market teams. I mean, let's face it, the race to their credit, I think they, they, they are more than likely to be the most successful, you know, mid to small market team in the history of, of Major League, certainly in our modern day. Because every few years they have to they have to trade away players to get prospects. They have got an incredible, 
you know, system when it comes to getting these new prospects in there, building them up so they, they're ready for major league play. And then when they get here, they're they're ready and they're more than right. ready. I mean, these guys obviously they yeah. they won the American League pennant last year. Um, so I think this is really there's a just just an economic imbalance, uh, you know, in the game of baseball. And look, we've heard this a million times too. When you have a family of four going to a major league baseball game and you sit in the upper decks, and that's going to cost you two hundred fifty dollars for a family of four. I mean, good luck. Good luck filling, right. you know, thirty five. Good luck filling twenty five thousand sure. people eighty one times a year. Uh, it's very difficult to to do that. And by the way, the the TV ratings for the Rays are, are fantastic. That's not right. that's not even a problem. People are watching. Well, that the shows you where TV. the problem is. Yeah. It's right. 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 Yeah. So, well, uh, hey, uh, uh, Representative DeSegli, uh, you know, uh, again, a great friend. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Uh, for those of you watching, you're watching the Yard Sign, the most important, uh, the most relevant, important political podcast in politics. Um, for an audio version of this podcast, make sure you subscribe over at the Tech Overlords at Google, Apple, uh, Apple. Sorry. Google, Apple, Spotify, Audible, and Amazon, and iHeartRadio. Uh, you can find the audio version of our podcast on all of those platforms. Um, to close it up, uh, again, now that uh, we've discussed your candidacy for the state Senate, how can people get involved? How can they donate? And uh, how can they reach out to you as you do your listening tour? Well, let's see. Uh, NickDesegli.com is, is probably an easy way to get, get involved in the campaign. Um, and, you know, again, uh, you know, Nick DeSegli at gmail.com is my email address. I'm, I'm pretty easy to find. Once you get elected to office, uh, people tend to, to tend to find you, which is a good thing. Um, but, yeah, we've got a long way to go. And, and again, I think this summer, uh, like I do every summer that I've been in the legislature, you know, now's the time for me to listen to, you know, concerns of constituents and, and really come up with some ideas that, you know, if there's an if there's an opportunity to turn that into legislative action, you know, that's what we're here to do and, and very honored and, and privileged to do that. All right. Well, certainly looking forward to it. I'm rooting for you, buddy. Thank you so much for Thanks, man. Uh, again, making time to join me and uh, we'll see you uh, back here next Monday night, seven o'clock for another episode of the yard sign. We'll have the full cast and plenty to talk about as uh, the news never stops coming uh, again, on behalf of all my friends at the yard sign, don't forget to follow us on all of our social media platforms. We'll catch you back here next week, Monday night, seven o'clock. Thank you so much for watching. Good night, everybody. Good night, everybody.